Welcome to the New Thinking for a New World podcast, where we explore the most pressing issues that are challenging and changing our societies. We are looking for new thinking and new solutions wherever we can find them. Listen as host Alan Stoga, the Talberg Foundation's chairman, challenges his guests for analysis, ideas and actions. Together, we can help make our world at least a bit better. The Taliban surge to power in Afghanistan is one of those events that will have repercussions for years to come. Geopolitical, strategic, military, perhaps religious, but most importantly, humanitarian. We all watched in horror as hundreds of thousands of women, men, children tried to flee what they surely expected would be a reimposition of the Taliban's brutal, pre-modern style of ruling. One who succeeded in getting out is Jamila Afghani, my guest today. Jamila is an educator, a leader, and an activist. Her work to elevate the rights and improve the education of women and girls is based on her studies of Islamic law, which she believes is typically misinterpreted to give them second-class status. And I should add, and I'm very proud to add, Jamila is a past winner of the Telberg SNF Eliasson Global Leadership Award. Welcome, Jamila. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me today in your program. Let me start, Jamila, by telling you how relieved I am personally that you are in Norway and not in Afghanistan. But I have to ask, how did you get there? Tell me about your journey. Well, uh, uh, yeah, it was uh, a horror uh, experience, a very much terrified experience. Actually, I was uh, in Turkey uh, for the cup, past couple of months because of the threat I had. Um, but uh, due to health condition of my father, I had to go to Kabul to visit him. Uh, unfortunately, on 15 August that I wanted to go back to Turkey, that the Kabul city uh, fall down in the hand of Taliban. On the same day, I had uh, my passport, my ticket, my boarding pass, waiting in the row to catch a flight and go to Turkey. Uh, But all of a sudden, I noticed that almost all politicians, ministers, deputy ministers, parliamentarians, singers, everybody was in the airport and everybody was trying to catch a flight. Uh, I was holding my boarding pass and passport um, and ticket. I was not allowed to get in with my children uh, because the parliamentarian with their gunman uh, beside them like pushed us back and they want to take our seat forcefully. And uh, I was really shocked what's going on and such a chaos in the airport. What really made me uh, miserable, still I have that feeling with myself, that when I was going to the airport, uh, police and check posts were there, there were security guards. But when I was getting out of the airport, I saw the helmet of the soldier was there, his uniform was there, his gun was there, and he was disappeared. Just like a magical land, that all human beings were disappeared. 
I was really shocked and I was really disappointed that just in a matter of a few hours, everything was clashed. Everything was, was demolished. Jamila, that sounds horrible. How did you actually get out of Afghanistan? So I will tell you the story of the first attempt and the last attempt. Um, not in between the story, it will be very long. So the first uh, uh, attempt we did after the um, 15th August through my organization that currently I'm working with uh, Women International League for Peace and Freedom. Uh, through their support, we had a contact person in the airport and we had to go through their advice. And uh, I had to cross three checkpoints of Taliban who were standing. So in the very first checkpoint, uh, I was covering my face with mask and I was wearing black glasses and I was holding my crutches. So one of the Talib was asking, why you want to go to USA? Uh, just I said, brother, I'm very sick. So this is an opportunity. I want to get um, the chance and go for my treatment. So, uh, so he didn't investigate much because I'm. I was afraid he, if they came to know that who's uh, behind this mask, uh, that might be have a different experience for me. Then I requested them that these are my children and they are accompanying me. Just allow them to go inside. So that man was uh, very helpful, and he shouted on the other soldiers of the next checkpoint to allow this woman to go in. And similarly, very easily, we crossed the three checkpoint of Taliban and we reached to the uh, gate of airport where the U.S. soldiers were waiting. So um, between me and the U.S. soldiers were the only rod, that wiring rod was in between us. And uh, it was very uh, sharp uh, rod, and it was very clear cut that I could see the soldiers and they could see me. And I was uh, shouting that I'm Jamila Afghani and this is my number and I want to meet with this person, the contact person we had. But they were not listening. They were not listening and they were not paying any, any kind of attention. So by the passage of every and every second, the number of crowd was increasing. And the flood of people were coming onto us. And it was really difficult for me with disability to stand in the same point for hours. Although we stand there for six hours waiting to seek attention of the US soldiers. And uh, finally, my younger daughter, she was nearby to be suffocated and uh, we were asking for water the the soldiers were drinking water and they were not giving us water and that it was very difficult situation then there was a car nearby to that um, border point uh, then uh, with great difficulty i could place my daughter young daughter uh, above the car and i was holding myself um, uh, attach myself and holding from the car to to tolerate the the force of the crowd who was trying to get inside the airport so then the u.s soldier when they realized there was very heavy crowd of people they started 
pouring the tear gas. And as I was the nearest person in front, two times they poured the gear gas in, into my face, into my eyes. And it was such a miserable condition. It was such a disgrace moment for myself with all what I did for my people, for my country. And a person with disability, I was holding 11 countries visa on my hand. I was shouting for hours and nobody was paying attention. So when I was disappointed from the scenario, then uh, I had to turn back because my daughter was in a very bad condition. My other uh, colleague who was holding me, my shoulder, my hand, so uh, she fell down and she became unconscious. And even my crutches was disappeared. I don't know what happened with my crutches. So it was, it was taken away from me. So with great difficulty, I was able to get out of that, uh, that uh, situation after six, seven hours of waiting. So let me ask Jamila, what did you feel at that point? You're, you're stuck. You've, you've just had this horrible experience. You're headed back in the wrong direction. What were your thoughts? So um, I was feeling that moment. Uh, I was saying like, um, uh, uh, maybe Taliban may kill me two, three days back, but this is ultimate death. This is immediate death uh, that I'm facing and my children are facing. So with this uh, feeling uh, at my mind, I had to return. I had to choose between two death situation. One was close death and the other was a bit far death. So, so of course I had to choose the uh, a little bit distance death from the very close by death. So when we came back and so many other times we tried through cooperation of many friends on international level, then I had to write many emails after many attempts like when every time I was getting disappointed. And finally, uh, my very good friend, uh, Mr. Andres, uh, ambassador of Norway in Kabul, like he, he, he helped us to get out. And he coordinated uh, with his staff, with uh, soldiers inside the airport. So now I'm going to tell you the last attempt uh, because of that last attempt that today I'm in uh, Norway. So when we got to the airport uh, uh, to find a, a, a better space to get out, um, so the only solution, the only better opportunity was to cross that dirty savage. Uh, the dirty savage that uh, next day after our departure, there was a suicide attack. So I, I had to cross that savage. Uh, so the soldiers were standing on the other side of the savage and we were with lots of uh, crowd and lots of pressure. We were uh, standing with this side of um, savage and uh, my brother, um, uh, like he helped each and every one of my children to get out to the other side. and with lots of difficulty and even in the beginning, like we were shouting, we were calling nobody was listening to us then we had to write the 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 code number we had a code number and we wrote that code number in a big piece of paper 
and we showed uh, from the far side, like we waved that, and we showed that to the soldier. Then the soldiers were pointing to come uh, nearer to them. So we had now to cross the savage, a person with disability, after so many attempts, and every attempt we got injuries. I got injured, my hip joint, my elbow. Um, so I was, my brother was shouting at me to 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 come on his shoulder and cross the the savage, and I was saying, no, for God's sake, if I fall down from your shoulder, what will happen? So rest of people are off of their body as in savage, dirty water. If I fall down, whole my body will be uh, under that dirty water. So I was saying, no, no, I will go back. I will, I will not uh, come back. Uh, so I will go back. So my brother was shouting, and I saw my children who were on the other side of the savage. They were crying. They were yelling, "Mama, please come. Otherwise, they will kill you. So please come." So uh, then I had to take that risk, that dirty risk, very inhuman risk. To cross that savage and thank god you succeeded yeah finally succeeded but it was really horrible experience oh i'm sure i am sure um let me ask jamila because after that you were able to get get to norway but let's go back a little bit um, you said at the start that it was surprising how fast Kabul fell. Obviously, if you knew it would happen that fast, you would not have gone back. But you, exactly. but you did. Why? Why did the government collapse? Why did the Taliban inherit this country the way they did as fast? What happened? What is it about? Yeah, I I think there were many reasons. And the very first and important reason was the corruption in the system, that nobody took it very seriously. The corrupt government um, that were not able to pay the salary of the soldiers for many months, and even they were doing corruption in the food and water of the soldiers. And they they lost the, the the trust of people, and you can see that even Taliban uh, didn't fought in many fronts. Like Taliban were uh, take very easily because people had no trust on that government. And from the other side, it wasn't uh, the biggest mistake of international community, especially USA. Uh, that nobody was willing to have that guy as a president. But with that failed election, with that corrupt election, uh, still international community and USA pushed us to accept him as a leader. And that corrupt leader made such a uh, big mistake of the history that I cannot find even such an example in any other country that a person who is highly educated, who is the man of uh, knowledge and experience, is taking many of people, filling his bags with many, and escaping from the scenario. 
leaving all people behind with with such a regime uh, to deal with this is this is this is unacceptable this is unacceptable this was very inhuman and beside the corruption that this govern that government had uh, the other uh, major problem was that the government, uh, the president was confined with a group of a few fellows of himself. Like he was not um, taking whole nation along, just he was holding the grip of a few friends he had. Like when Herod was about to fall, uh, Ismail Khan was asking that to allow him to fight against Taliban. But he was saying, if I allow him to fight against Taliban, then I cannot take Herat province back from Ismail Khan. So the same situation was in Mazar and many other provinces. So the government was so much uh, scattered. It was so divided. The president had no trust on, on his allies, and allies had no trust on him. And this was the the uh, the winning part for Taliban. It contributed to the winning part of Taliban. And from the other side, like the the hunger, uh, the the uh, unemployment rate was increasing. Uh, almost eighty percent of population were under the poor line, like they had not enough food and life uh, resources. So these were the internal issues that we were uh, having and it helped Taliban uh, for their success. And from the other side, the wrong policies of US and NATO was uh, a major element. Like when USA signed the agreement with Taliban, without consultation of people of Afghanistan, without consultation of uh, government of Afghanistan, it was a leverage that they were giving to Taliban. And from the other side, uh, the fake or the wrong um, peace process which was going on for a year, almost a year, and even from two years, uh, without any result. And the two sides, like two stubborn boys, were fighting with each other and they were not listening to each other. And the international community was observing the situation, but still, but still, uh, they were not pressurizing both sides. So these were the elements, in my understanding, that um, uh, made the takeover for Taliban very easy. But I'm sure it will be very difficult for Taliban to continue their uh, rule or their system uh, with all these challenges and crisis and um, lack of trust they have on national level and also on international level. If you feel that the world lacks global leaders, please help support the Talberg Foundation programs. Individual donations are being accepted at talbergfoundation.org slash donate. That's T-A-L-L-B-E-R-G foundation.org slash donate. I want to ask you about the Taliban. There are some people who imagine that the Taliban have changed over the last 20 years. 
that they've learned from their mistakes, that they're going to govern differently. Do you think they've changed at all? To be honest, uh, yes, Taliban are changed, especially in the part of their leadership and the terms of their fighting strategy, the, the way they uh, come closer to, to Kabul. They started from different angles approaching to Kabul. The way they worked in the peace process. So uh, in terms of political uh, debate or in terms of political recognition, they did a very different job. And also in terms of unity, the previous government was so divided, but Taliban are also divided, but their two divisions are highlighted and rest of the divisions are not that much prominent. So in terms of um, higher leadership, I can see there are uh, very change and even uh, what verbally they are saying about education, women's rights, social participation. So um, it is very good words. But coming to the practice uh, to see it is very different and uh, because uh, most of Taliban foot soldiers are, uh, are not changed. Those were the people who were like in jungles and caves and the mountains they were fighting for so many years and they were like disconnected from all those privilege that their leadership have they are disconnected and uh, even right now like the fourth soldiers are coming from a patriarchal background from a patriarchal mindset that they only believe in uh, man supremacy and uh, I think it will be very difficult for Taliban to, to deal with their fought soldiers mentality. And during one of the meetings a um, few days back uh, that some of the um, sisters had, and they were informing me about the meeting, that uh, one of the main reasons uh, for slow approaching of Taliban to women's issues is because of the fear of their fought soldiers. And they are foot soldiers are not believing in the issue of uh, women's rights, human rights, and they consider it a totally Western agenda and against Afghan and Islamic norms. So, um, uh, so uh, yeah, there are change, but at, at upper level or upper uh, layer, but the rest of the layers are the same. Um, and personally, I'm not very much hopeful. Let me ask you about the future and from this point of view. So many Afghans uh, like you and many of your friends are outside the country, more are trying to leave. Um, what is their future? Uh, to be honest, um, many of those women that um, right now they are out of Afghanistan, I can hear from everybody that everybody is ready to go back to Afghanistan. If not everybody, almost everybody is uh, expecting to go back to Afghanistan and continue their work. And uh, although it seems very difficult, but I think it's not impossible. Uh, because uh, at the moment, 38 millions are living inside Afghanistan. 
and half of the population are women of Afghanistan. In a way or other way, they have to face the regime. They have to exist with the regime. So we cannot put cross on 38 million population who are already on the ground. And they have no way of getting outside Afghanistan. And it's not possible for anybody to allow a huge uh, flood of refugees to their countries. So uh, I think if international community is uh, working on a proper strategy uh, to, to, to help people of Afghanistan to survive, uh, to avoid um, um, these uh, humanitarian crises, uh, so people of Afghanistan have the the courage, the the strength to 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 fight against any injustice. And from the other side, I can see that Taliban are also realizing that Afghanistan is not the Afghanistan of twenty years back. There are group of intellectuals. There are group of youths, men, women that they want to see a better country, a better environment for all of us. So although it's very dark, it's very uncertain at this moment, but it's not impossible. If we have our international friends and allies to stand beside us, uh, they need to work on a proper strategy. They should have a proper check and balance strategy on Taliban uh, to, to, to meet the need of humanitarian issues, to, need, uh, to meet the needs of human rights, uh, civil, uh, civic engagement. So uh, that is not impossible. But of course, our work is tripled. Of course, uh, our journey is longer than before. Of course, uh, we are walking in a darkness with a small candle of hope. And I hope it will be different uh, sometimes. Well, Jamila, let's end there because I can't imagine what else I can ask or what else you could say that would be more eloquent uh, and more hopeful uh, than that. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And um, I really appreciate everybody's support and um, morally, technically, I, I'm really thankful. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us. Please rate our show on Apple Podcast and subscribe. Meanwhile, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Or you can subscribe to our newsletter at talbergfoundation.org to learn more about our work. That's T-A-L-L-B-E-R-G foundation.org. Thank you and we'll be back again next week for another episode of Talberg's New Thinking for a New World. This podcast was brought to you through the generous support of SNF, the Stavros Nyarkos Foundation.